every man 18 uh, or over. And so right now, I want to ask, if you are a man and you're 18 or over, would you come to the front? Ladies, would you give them a round of applause as they come to the front? We are honoring our, our men, our fathers. We are grateful to God for uh, the men that he has placed in our lives, the men that he has placed in our families, and the men that he has placed in this church. And we, uh, we honor, the Bible says give honor where honor is due. And so this morning we honor uh, these men that are before us. And as they come, I want to encourage you folks, being, uh, being a husband, being a father, being a man is a challenge in this world. It just is. In our society, um, men's roles are being undermined more and more and more. They're being made less of. And as Lori said earlier today, you know, the role of a man, um, and men are just being, are under attack. And we need to pray for our men. We need to pray for them not just on Father's Day. We need to pray for them every day of the year. And so this morning, we are definitely going to pray for our men. Um, you know, typically when the men come up here, when we honor our, our ladies, when we honor our men, we give them a gift. But the men's committee decided that this year, on behalf of the men, they're going to take the money that they would have spent giving you a gift, and they're actually going to purchase two goats in Haiti and give them to families in need. And so, men, you didn't know this, but hopefully you're okay with this, because we want to thank you for what you've done by giving goats, because rather than give you a gift that you might just put in a drawer somewhere and go, oh, that's nice, we can take that money and actually change the lives of two families forever by something as simple as a goat. So thank you, men, for your willingness, for your joy in doing that. And if you're not joyful and not willing, talk to Hector. All right? Um, Hector would have been here this morning. Actually, Hector was going to preach this morning as the head of our men's committee but pray for him. He ended up going to the emergency room with kidney stones last night. Um, pray for him, all right? And uh, he wishes he could have been here. And he's been working on a message he wanted to give. And I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to, 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 to speak that soon. But on behalf of Hector, we want to pray for you guys as well. Ladies, would you stretch out your hands as we just in unity pray for the men that God has placed in this church and in our lives. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. God, we thank you for the men in our lives. We thank you for the men in our families. We thank you for the men that we know. We thank you for the men in this church. And God, we recognize that the role of a man is under attack in our country and in our world. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to fight that, God. God, what the enemy means for evil and, and to destroy, God, you would turn it around, Lord God, in the lives of these men, that they would stand up and be counted as men, Lord Jesus that they would see the purpose in their lives and embrace it, Lord Jesus, and chase after it, Lord God, because you have called them by name. God, and you have, you have placed them here, Lord God, with purpose, for reason, for existence, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for them. We pray, God, that you would protect them and that you would keep them. God, that you would um, guard their minds and their hearts. God, that you would give strength, that they would lead, Lord God, as you have called them to lead. Lord Jesus, as they would lead their, their, their wives and their families, and as they would lead in this church, Lord Jesus. But God, we thank you for their hearts. We thank you for their love of you. Would you bless them? Would you keep them as they honor you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give them another round of applause as they take their seats? Thank you guys for coming up. And um, we're glad that you are part of this church and part of our family. And, uh, and we're excited to honor you. You know, um, 
I thought about Father's Day, and as I remember, uh, well, as I thought about Father's Day, I remember how scary it was. That first time that I became a, a father, I have two children. For, for those who do not know, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I have a 14-year-old son. My, my 14-year-old son has autism, which has been um, a blessing. It's been challenging, but I want to say I've seen God do so much, and and, and I have two children, and I, as I thought of Father's Day, my mind went back to that very first time I became a father. I remember holding Courtney for the first time when she was born. I remember how awesome it was. I remember looking at this little life and being terrified. You know, I wanted this. I was excited about this. And, and, but when that moment of truth came and all of a sudden there she was and she's placed in my hands, it was terrifying for me. Because this one was mine. This one was going to go home with me. And I remember holding her and going, she's just too little. And being afraid, like, I'm going to break her. Like, I, I was so afraid of how to hold her in little Lord. I mean, it, was, it took a while for Courtney to, to become bigger, you know, before I actually felt comfortable holding her because I didn't even know how to, you know, you grab a baby and their head rolls back and you're trying to do everything you can and trying to be a good dad. And so I remember grabbing Courtney and holding her and going, oh God, help me. It was exciting, but it was scary. You know, I remember almost wishing, you know, we were in Fort Bragg at the time. We were in the military when she was born. And I, I almost remember just dreading her coming home. Not because I didn't love her, but just knowing that I wanted her to live. And I thought she'd be much safer in the hospital than sending her home with me and Lori. Because Lori didn't know what she was doing. And I sure didn't. And so I was convinced the safest Thing for Courtney would to spend be to spend as much time in the care of nurses in the hospital as possible. There were so many things to be done, and, and as you know, you know, as as new parents, where it is so overwhelming. That day comes where it's now time to take your child home. And I know some of you parents have been good parents from the beginning. Some of you ladies just you just have a child and you know exactly what to do. But for some of us, it's not that case. For some of us, it's overwhelming. And I remember taking Courtney from the hospital and, and thinking, man, I've got to put this car seat in the vehicle and having no clue how it went in. And I don't know why they make them so difficult, but it seemed like it was impossible to get this thing into the, into the actual seat. Wanted to have someone to look at it to make sure I did it right. But knowing that now I'm taking this child from the safe environment, putting it into, into her car seat and taking her home. And they, and they send you home with all kinds of instructions. Like they should wait for the belly button to actually be healed before they send them home. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to be horrible, but it's kind of like, yeah, what if I mess that up? Like, is it okay? Some of you parents look at me like, I'm the horrible father. I probably am. And some of you are going, yeah, I know what you feel. The honest ones, I think. But just looking at that and just being overwhelmed by that. And I remember, too, you know, I was not good at changing diapers. And it wasn't for me so much about the content of the diaper as I just tell, like, it was, it was just a little girl. I, I was just was not comfortable. Just nothing. I was not comfortable in any part of this thing uh, as being a father. So many things. So much information. 
I just knew that if she survived one week, it would be a miracle. And I mean that seriously. I think what brought me comfort, this sounds, I started looking at teenage pregnancies and go, okay, somehow these young ladies, they've managed to do this. Surely I won't kill my child in a week. But not knowing how bad I would be as a dad. And, and before long, she made it a week. And I was convinced that God did exist. But that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning for me. I remember earaches. Only at the time I didn't know they were earaches. All I knew is that we had this baby that would not stop crying. Just endless crying. And we couldn't do anything to calm her. I remember that, that helpless feeling as you look into this child who is, is, is in your hands and is in total need of you. You're the help. You're the hope. You're the one who's supposed to take care of this child. And this baby is hurting and in pain and crying. And you have no idea what's going on. And feeling clueless. And, and I remember this, this part particularly well. Courtney had this, this earache. And, and Lori and I were just beyond ourselves. We didn't know what to do. And so we found ourselves, you know, we, we didn't know she had an earache. We just knew she was in pain and crying. And nothing we could do could console her. And it was about 2 in the morning where we decided we have to take her to the emergency room. And I remember that trip. It was a long, long trip with a crying baby. And we get to the emergency room, and the doctor looks at her, and within two minutes says, she has an earache. And then takes some, some magic medicine and puts it in her ear, and within, it seems like seconds, Courtney went from crying for hours to being completely happy. I didn't know what that medicine was, but I knew I had to have it. And I would use that medicine for everything. She's crying, get the medicine, put it in her ear. Maybe it'll make the tears stop. Because I was just desperate. I want the pain, I want the hurt, because I want her to be okay. But knowing, man, I don't have what it takes as a dad. I remember a baby so dependent on me and Lori. And I remember feeling so inadequate to actually care for the needs of this child. I remember Lori and I hearing the cries of Courtney when she was a baby and, and jumping at her cry and running to her side that every time she opened her mouth, she had us trained. She had us trained. She had us wrapped. But after a while, we began to realize that things had changed. And she didn't just cry when she needed something anymore, but now she would cry when she wanted something. You know, we were so used to responding. You know, we wanted to make sure that this child who was in our hands, we feeling inadequate, man, when she cries, my job, my role as a father, as parents, is to run to her side and make sure she has everything she needs. See, kids, they, they get smart young. Right, you know what I'm talking about? And, and I'm not even sure when it switches, but it switches. Not that they don't cry over needs, but what they cry for beyond needs. And you begin to realize this when you go into the room that first time, and you go in, and the minute you walk into the, into the baby's room, all of a sudden your baby stops crying and smiles. And you go, hold on a second, this, this doesn't feel right. 
I feel like I'm being played a little bit here. This isn't supposed to work this way. And so what what changed was these cries no longer represented genuine need, not all the time, some of the time, but began to represent more of things that she just wanted. She wanted things, you know, her way. And I remember Lord and I recognizing this, you know, and, 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 and other parents have gone before you will tell you, hey, listen, you need to do this. You know, you need to, your, your, ch- your child's playing you, and, and you always go, well, no, not my child. My child's not. My child's really needy. But then you realize, no, my child is actually doing this as well. And, and I remember, look, Lori and I kind of just figuring out, hey, we've got to stop this. Because being a good parent isn't just responding to every cry. That what we're doing and how we respond, we're actually training and teaching our children. And so I remember looking at Lori and going, okay, this is not right. This isn't what it's supposed to be. And so, you know what, I am, we can't do this anymore. We cannot respond to every cry, but we've got to make sure that the cry doesn't represent a genuine need. That when it represents simply a want, that we draw the line and we start parenting. Because parenting isn't giving in. But that's easier said than done. And I remember, you know, babies can look at you like you're mud. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I remember going in and you see this baby crying and you look and you realize this is not a cry for need. This is a cry for want. And then determining in our hearts, if I'm going to be a good parent, then I'm not going to respond to this want. And so looking and going, no, you're okay. And then as you turn to walk, seeing their sheer look of disgust and horror in your baby's face, even though they can't speak, where they look at you and go, you're not just walking away from me. And they look at you like, how can you say you love me? How can you, you are abandoning me. How many parents have seen that in the kid's eyes, honestly? You've seen it in your baby's face where you make a decision, I'm not going to pick you up. I'm not going to respond to this crying. I'm going to walk away. And they look at you like, oh, you're the worst parent in the world. Love does not look like this. And they can communicate that with their faces, with their eyes. And, you know, it's this manipulative part where you kind of want to go, okay, maybe I should just pick my child up. But you need to stand firm. And then we watched as we stood firm going, no, and we turned around and walked around, how that, that look of disgust would change into sheer rage. You know what I'm talking about? When the baby all of a sudden clenches her fists, and now it's anger. Like, how dare you not respond to my need? Who do you think you are? You are here for me. These are important things in the lives of parents. They're important lessons to learn as parents, and they're important lessons for kids to learn. But walking away from a crying baby, it's a big first step for parents to do. But I want to tell you it's an incredibly important step to do. Loving your child is not giving in to your child. Loving your child is not meaning every want that they want. Every desire that they have. See, we love our children. We're supposed to look to the future and go, no, I am training and equipping my children not just for the now, but for the future. When we give in to their wants, we're actually doing them a disservice because we're focusing on the immediate and the now. We're looking for relief on our part to make life easier for me and not for them. 
And so it's important for us to recognize what is need and what is want. What is genuine, what is real, and what is manipulation. And we must not give in. Over the years of, of parenting, and, and again, I am certainly not the poster child for a perfect parent. I don't think you're ever really ready to give advice on parenting. And I think the first time someone, well, people came to Lori and I and were saying, hey, can you help us? What do you give advice for us on how to raise your kids? I remember going, why are you asking us? I don't know. I'm still figuring this out for myself. Then I began to realize when I had a conversation, I go, no, I guess we've been doing this for 16 years. Maybe we have something that we can say. And, and so we're not the picture of perfect parents, but what we do have is we have 16 years that we've learned. And so all I hope to do this morning is just take from those 16 years and share, share with you not just what I've learned about parenting, but what I've learned about who God is while parenting. Because there is a picture of God in your parenting. There's an image far greater and far bigger than yourselves. And so as I look back over the, 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 the 16 years of, of parenting, the one thing I know is that I am still a student of parenting. I am still learning. I have a lot to learn. But I've also learned this. I've learned that, that there are different seasons to parenting. Parenting is different. I have two different children. It actually amazes me. You know, I think when Michael came along, I expected him to be basically a boy picture of Courtney. And it always amazes me how f different your children are. I always look at Ali and Zoe, Pastor Rennie's children, because, you know, Ali and Zoe are complete opposites. And I love seeing, you almost go, how could they even be from the same parents? They're so completely different. But our children are different. And we love them differently. You don't love one more. You don't, want, you don't love one less, but you love them differently. They have different needs. They have different abilities. They have different skill sets. For instance, when I ground Courtney, that might take two months of grounding to get the point across. Michael, 15 seconds of grounding. It's done. My, you just mentioned the word grounding to Michael. He is on his knees repenting. He just... He cannot, t and, the, and the point is made in 50, and I'm not kidding you, and you hear about it for a week. Dad, don't ground me. Don't. Like, Michael, you were ground for 10 seconds in your room, and, but it worked. I love my kids differently because their needs are different. I don't love one anymore or one any less. But I've learned that over the years of, of parenting that there are seasons to parenting. Like Ecclesiastes puts it this way, and I like what they, they say, that there's a and I'll paraphrase this for the sake of parenting. But there's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to build. And I want you to think of these as we think of our kids. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to embrace. And there's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And I've learned that there are seasons in my children's lives. 
There are seasons where you spend time pouring in. There are seasons where you spend time taking your hands off. And both are equally important. And both are required by parents. I've learned that as a father, that I am always fathering. It's not my, the good things in me that are good fathering or the bad things. I am always fathering that what I do and what I do not do will leave a mark on my children. They will leave a mark in my child's life. That how I am today and how I am in the way that I love and how I am in the way that I discipline will carry life-lasting effects into their lives. I've learned that if I do not walk away from my child when that child is crying because of a want that I am teaching and setting that child up for failure for life lessons later on in life, I am not helping that child. I've learned that to love my child really is to know my child. So to really love, not this generic, you can't just love your children generically, but to really love your child, you have to know your child. I want to tell you, to love a kid with autism, you have to know autism. You have to know his strengths. You have to know his weaknesses. You have to know how he responds. You have to really get inside of this kid's mind and where he is in order to love him, in order to nurture him, in order to help him grow. And not just a kid with autism. That's true of any child. To love your child is to know your child, to know where they are. To know where their struggles are. To recognize their strengths. To recognize their weaknesses. And compensate in those areas as as, as we raise them and develop them. For life. Not just for the moment. And it's, sometimes it's too much work. And sometimes we pass that responsibility on to other people. And sometimes it's easier to walk away and not deal with a situation because it's easier on us and easier on our schedules and easier on our heart. It's just easier to give in. I don't want to deal with this right now. Therefore, just, just do what you want to do. And in everything that we do, we leave a mark. And everything that we do, we are training and we are teaching our kids. And once you give in that once, it becomes easier to give in again and again and again. To love your child is to know your child. To love your child, in essence, sometimes is to study your child and go, okay, I recognize that there's some manipulative activity going on here. And to know, hey, I recognize this genuine need here. And I need to adjust accordingly. It's to know the seasons in your child's life. What I mean by that is, And I want what's best for my kids. I really do. And I want to do everything I can as a father, as an imperfect father, that they will have a good life, that I can set them up, that they don't have to see a perfect dad, but they can see a dad who loves, they can see a dad who recognizes his imperfection and strives to live the right way, and strives to teach, and recognizes when he's wrong, and is big enough to come back to your kids and say, hey, I'm sorry. 
I overreacted. Because all of those are life lessons. But I want what's best for my kids. And, and, and part of it, I mean, there are times when, I, when I've needed to respond to every cry in my kids' lives. And those times changed. As I watched my child grow, I knew that there were now times when I did not need to respond. I remember that there were, there were, there were times when I encouraged my child to take some first steps. How many of you guys remember that? It was all you could think about. Man, I just, I can't wait for this baby to just to start walking. You know, she's been just rolling around and, and, and she's, she's getting some strength. And, and you watch your baby begin to kind of rock up and get up. You, you grab your child's hands and you do everything you can to get them to walk. And you've got the video camera just waiting. You don't want to miss those first steps. You don't want to miss those first steps. And boy, then those first steps come. And the joy that it brings. And that might last for a day. Because then you're not so excited about where those steps will lead them. Now they're doing what you want them to do. They're walking. But now all of a sudden you learn and you realize there's a whole new level of dangers that walking brings. They can go places quicker, faster. They can get into things. They can reach higher places. And it seems that I would spend far more time telling them to be still than I ever did encouraging them to walk. There are times when you encourage them to walk and there are times when you encourage them to be still. And both of those times are important. And both of those times have seasons. I remember the times when I just could not wait to hear them talk. I wanted to hear Courtney's voice. I wanted to know what her voice sounded like. And she started talking early and she hasn't stopped. But Michael, he didn't start talking with his autism until probably closer to four I remember, this is pretty clear in my mind than Courtney because she started pretty young. But with Michael, I remember going, Lord, I just want to know what his voice sounds like. What do you think his voice sounds like? He was silent. And I was so excited when he started talking. Before long, that changed to the place where I couldn't remember when he didn't stop talking. But he wouldn't stop. He just talked and talked and talked. You know, it's a toddler running around and they ask, Why? Why? Because I said so. That's why. Stop already. Doesn't mean you don't love your kids. But man, I remember spending years going, I want to hear his voice. I want to hear his voice. And I spent far more time going, I wish he'd be quiet for a second. That's not a bad thing. Scripture says, be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? It's an important lesson teaching your child to speak. That's a more important lesson, teaching them to be quiet and teaching them to listen. There are seasons in our children's lives, seasons in our parenting, times where we encourage them to, 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 to speak and times we tell them to be still and to be quiet. And these same lessons continue and reoccur. They're continuous. It's the same kinds of lessons, different circumstances, different topics, different things. Just there, Michael's not in here, so I'll say this, you know, it's so easy to over-baby a child with autism. Michael's 14, and uh, I loved it. Last night we were coming back from from, from somewhere, and I grabbed his hand because You know, I want to keep him safe. It's my responsibility. And he looked at me. He said, I'm an adult. Oh, 
Sorry. Is it time to hold the kid's hand? And is it time to let go? And both of those are important lessons in parenting. And I tell you, there's times where you want to baby your child, and there's times where you have to go, no, if I'm going to raise this child the way this child needs to be raised, I need to let go. There's times to correct rebellion and independence that wants to come at age two, and there's time to encourage independence so they're not 27 living at home. If you're 27 living at home, don't be offended by that. <laughs> Get a job. All right. But there are times, and both of these things are important. Both of them are seasons. And as a father, I want the best for my child. I want the best for them in their lives. And I don't know what it looks like. Which leads me to the greatest thing that I've learned so far from being a father and the greatest, most important thing I've learned about being a father is that I've learned more about God than I ever have before. I've learned more about his love for me. I've learned how you can be so angry with your child and love them so much at the same time. I've learned how it is to be so frustrated with a decision but not to change their love. I know how it is and how hard it is to love them so much that you're correcting them. And even when they cannot see it, they feel like you've abandoned them. I know how, how hard it is. I know how badly I want them to do well in life. And I've realized as I watch my kids and as I, as I learn more about God and his love, I've realized really how limited I am. I've learned how imperfect I am. I've learned how inadequate I am as a father. I've come face to face with my failures as a dad. I've had many times I've walked away and go, you didn't handle that well at all. Now, how do you go back into that situation and correct what you messed up? It's important for a kid to hear their dad apologize when their dad messes up. That's a life lesson. It's important. I know that in my best attempt at fatherhood, I fall far short of being the father I should be. And I know that in my greatest hour of being a father, I will never be able to be there for my child all the time. I think one of the things that highlighted it the most, and you've heard me say this probably pretty often, because it still haunts me when I was in this church and I was doing ministry and somehow I lost control of where Michael was and he ran across Washington Street on a Friday afternoon at four years old on his way to the playground, was almost hit four times, and I was horrified that some stranger across the street grabbed him. Thank God for that. But my failure as a dad never really was highlighted more in my life than that. Going, man, what if he had been killed because I was too busy doing something else? And I remember in that moment, I felt God speak to me, and it took me two or three days just to get over it, but I, I remember God speak to me and say, Selwyn, you won't always be there, but I always will. And I realized how limited I was as a dad and how incredibly desperate I am as a father to need my heavenly father. To realize how desperate I am to need his leadership in my life in order to be the father that he's called me to be. 
I've realized that I am no way capable. I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the talent to be the man, to be the father, to be the husband that God wants me to be unless I'm totally dependent on him and looking to him in every aspect and area of my life. And Michael running across Washington Street seemed to drive that home to me. But in my weaknesses as a father, I see his strengths. It's interesting that in my imperfection as a dad, I actually, it has a way of highlighting his perfection because he is perfect. And so I see my weaknesses and I see his strengths and I see, I see my inadequacies and I see his competency and I see everything and I realize, man, if I'm going to be this father, there's got to be this link. If I'm going to be the dad that I'm supposed to be, there's got to be this link between me and him. There's got to be my hand in his as I strive to hold the hands of my kids because I don't want them following just Selwyn's lead. I want them following Selwyn's lead as Selwyn follows his lead. And that's the only way I want to live. Psalm 68.5 says this. He says, it's talking about God. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. This is who God is in his holy dwelling. What I love about this is, is, is that, that it tells us, for those of us who grew up without a father around, Father's Day is a tough time for so many people. For many people, it highlights what they didn't have. It highlights losses. For many fathers, it actually highlights their imperfection. Their mistakes. And in these words, there's comfort for the father who was messed up and there's comfort for the, those who did not have a father because he says, despite your father's situation, I am a father to the fatherless. Despite the lacks or the needs of your earthly father or the needs that you see in yourself as a father, I am a father who steps in. Lori said, and you've heard her say this before too, that you know, she grew up without her dad around. And it was like God revealed to her one day. He said to her, you know what, Lori, although your earthly dad wasn't around, I have always been around for you and I've always been there. And to this day, it just transformed Lori's whole feeling on Father's Day. Father's Day used to be, I remember sitting in church with Lori where Father's Day was a tearful event. It's not that way anymore. Because God stepped into a, a fatherless life of Lori's and said, and helped her to see, even when you didn't see me, I was there. Even in the absence of an earthly father, I was never absent. Because I was a father to the fatherless. And if he's done it for Lori, he'll do it for you. But we need to ask God to take bitterness from us. And ask God to open our eyes that we can see his presence in our lives, even when we feel like he wasn't there. And he will do that. And for those fathers who are, have messed up, join the club. And you can look at this and go, man, even in my absence as a father, even in my failures, I thank God that he's a father to the fatherless. And I thank God that his strength steps into my weakness. He is the perfect father. Would you open your Bibles to Psalms 139? We've been talking about purpose in the, in the youth group. And, and as I was, you know, just putting this message together this psalm jumped out at me because I thought, man, this really talks about the fatherhood of who God is. This really highlights his perfection. We said earlier that, that to, to, to love your child really is to know your child. 
to really know where they are. If I'm going to love Courtney and Michael, I know where they are. I do my best to know where they are, and I, don't, I can't see into their minds, so I'm limited, but I do my best to figure out where they are and to love them where they are. But in Psalm 139, as you turn there, God shows us how much he knows us. Verses 1 through 16. Verse 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I want to pause there for a second. This is talking about the depth of God's knowledge of you and of me. The best way I can love my kids is to know them. And God is saying in this, man, he knows me. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows my thoughts from far away. He knows everything about me. And in the midst of it, he loves me. Verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love how this describes the depth of knowledge God has for each one of us. I remember as a kid, one day I was messing around. My dad, for those who don't know, was a pastor, and we were on some trip somewhere, and there were some teens, and we had a big station wagon. And, uh, you know, the old ones with the wood on the side, well, that's what we had. And I remember I was in, I always like this in the back seat facing the rear window, you get away with more. But this one, I was actually sitting in the middle seats, and I was just horsing around with somebody next to me. My dad was pretty strict. I remember my dad just looking at me and saying, Selwyn, settle down. And so I thought to myself, I'm just going to sink further into the seat. So I kind of slid down below the rearview mirror so he couldn't see me. And I just continued messing around. And it wasn't long before he reached up and he just took that mirror and he just angled it down and he just gave me the, the, you know, the look of death. And I knew I was done. And so when I read this guy, even when I hide from you, this is what comes to mind. It's like, man, I just couldn't get away from my dad. He was always there watching. And when I think about this, man, this is God. Like, even when we don't want him around, he's there. And he's watching, and he loves, and he cares. And you know, what I love about this is, 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 well, let me put it this way. I have hopes and dreams for my kids. I want the best for my kids. And I imagine if you have children, you want the same. You want to see your kids succeed. 
You want to invest in them to see that long-term they do well. And these early years of their lives are crucial in that. But God has something far much more than hopes and dreams for your children. He has purpose for them. I want you to think about that. He has purpose for them. It's not generic hopes and dreams that in your life it goes well. No, he knitted them together. He knows them. He defined them. He formed them. He built them. And he built them for what? Not just generic hopes and dreams, but for specific purpose in their lives. He built them for such a time as this. He established them. He formed them. He gave them their giftings, their skill sets, their abilities. Why? To fulfill purpose that he has for them. This is the God that knows them. And he didn't just do it for your kids. He did it for you. You are people of purpose. And I don't think we understand that sometimes. You aren't placed here by accident. You were formed for purpose. You were formed for something far greater than yourselves. Every skill set, every ability, everything that you have was given to you to fulfill his divine purpose for you. Do you believe that? Do we really believe that? Because that is life-changing if you really believe that. And not only that, but if you recognize that God has purpose in you, then you will pass that on to your children and you will tell them, God has purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. And the reason why following his word is so important is to fulfill the purpose that he has in your life. I have hopes and dreams for my kids, but God has purpose for my kids. And I, in order to see their hopes and dreams fulfilled, I do my best as an imperfect father to discipline, to correct, to love, to all these things, to teach them how to behave when they get older. We endure torment at the time where you have to correct a kid and it doesn't go smoothly. We endure it and have patience because we know that what we do now has effects on where they go later on. But God, in his purpose for us, God is unchanging, God is unmovable, God is perfect, God is all-knowing, and God will not be manipulated. And so in all of this, even as our kids can manipulate us, even in our best days, they go, well, we try our best to, to help them. God is doing the same in our lives and in the same in our kids' lives. To achieve what? To achieve not just hopes and dreams, but purpose for their lives. The purpose that he has called them to. Jeremiah 29.11, and again, the scripture we're using at Youth Group right now, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He has plans for you. Plans from the beginning. And what I love about God is nothing can thwart his plans. You can take the wrong road, but when you repent, he always has a route back to the plans he has for you. He always can bring you back on path to what he has for you. All it takes is your recognition to say, God, I've gone my own way. Would you forgive me? And he can bring you back on the path and say, okay, yes, the path back to where I have for you looks this way and maybe a slightly rockier than if you'd stayed on course originally, but follow me as I get you back on course. That being a dad has really helped me see God in a new way. Through the eyes of a father. But what I've recognized in myself is I have seen in me and in my reactions to God the same kind of attitudes I've seen in my kids. 
I've seen me and identified me crying for things that I think are needs, but are really wants. And I see in me when God doesn't show up the way I think he needs to, because he recognizes what's a need and what's a want, I can see that same look of abandonment that I've seen on my child's face that looks at me like, how could you say you love me? Where are you when I need you? I've seen that look in my child's face at me, and then I've actually recognized the same behavior in my own life when God doesn't show up the way I expect him to. There are times in my life where I go, oh God, I feel like I need this. And the truth is God says, no, that's a want. And he doesn't do something the way I expect. And I feel myself feeling, oh God, if you really love me, how can you abandon me? Oh God, if you really love me, how come my son has autism? Oh God, if you really have this, how can you allow this thing to happen? God is bigger than me. And these are real questions that we can kind of wrestle with ourselves, and Satan will get in there and try and use those thoughts and those questions to derail us and say, yes, obviously God doesn't have purpose for you, because a God of purpose and a God of love wouldn't allow you to go through something like this. And boy, we like to buy that so many times. The God's love is stronger than any love of a father. And God's plan is far more than hopes and a good life. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And as we step into our kids' lives and say, man, I'm going to try and correct this attitude because I want to help them. God says, I know the plans I have for you, and I know what's harming you, and this is the way I am, and I will not be manipulated. I'm not giving in to this because I am defining you, and I'm making you in this process that you will achieve the purpose that I have for you. There are so many times in my life when I go through things, things that whether they, call, whether they cause fear, anxiety, stress, and I feel confident I can speak for you in this as well, that many times my prayer life looks like this. Oh God, I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like the anxiety. I don't like the fear. I don't like the need for faith in my life right now. It makes me uncomfortable. Oh God, this is from the enemy. Please take these circumstances away from me so that I can feel peaceful again. Maybe we don't quite put it like that, but the reality of our prayers is, God, please take the stress away from me, take the circumstance away from me so I don't have to go through this, so that I don't have to need you in this. And God says to me, and he said it to me, i tell you what, he said it to me in the midst of Michael's autism. He says, Selwyn, this very thing that is happening, I have perfect control. But it is only highlighting an area of your life that needs work for me to accomplish my purposes in you. And you're asking me to take away something that I'm using to form you and shape you to make you the person that I've called you to be, that I've purposed you to be. You want me to take that from you so that you can live a life and still be controlled by fear or anxiety or stress or whatever it may be. And he says, no, that issue is big enough. I want you to deal with that, but deal with it with me. The issue is not the circumstances that you're going through. The issue is your response to those circumstances. And that is what is sin. And all of a sudden, I realize that and go, oh God, forgive me. I want to learn this lesson because I don't want to be learning this lesson for all of my life. 
And what I love about God is he's not playing Russian roulette with my life. He has specific purpose for me. And he has specific purpose for my children. And he is solid and he is unchanging and his love is stronger than any other love you can have. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And he is shaping you and he is building you. This is why James says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. Why? I hate that scripture. Does anybody like that scripture? We'll pray for you. You better pray for us. I don't like trials. I don't like trials. Neither do you. That says because he is shaping you and he is forming you and, and, and giving you the character, and I'm paraphrasing, of what he wants in your life. I thank God that my God loves me that much. And so as I learn as a father, I, I see a picture of my kids, and in my kids I see a picture of me. In their rebellion, in their, in their ways, in their fears, I can actually identify myself and how I actually respond to him. And in my own actions and how I respond to them helps me actually identify how he responds to me. It helps me understand that I actually believe in what he's doing, even to me. I may not like it, but I actually believe in it because he's achieving me a greater purpose than I can imagine. And I know that in all of this, he is leaving his mark in my life. He's leaving his mark in my life. A mark that will last my lifetime. I know that the love of God in my life and in your life, is not affected by how good or how bad your father may or may not have been. Because his love is unchanging, his love is strong. Whether you had a good father or bad father, it does not affect who's God, how God loves you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a good father in your life. Maybe you've never known your dad. I want to say, while some dads may be better than others, there are no perfect dads out there. And I certainly am not a picture of a perfect one. But my imperfections as a father only point to his perfections. My imperfect love highlights his perfect love. And regardless of your earthly father, God's love for you as a heavenly father supersedes and is far stronger than the love of any earthly man. As a father... The greatest thing I can do for my children, the greatest impact, the greatest investment, the greatest inheritance I can give, the greatest gift I could give, and the greatest mark I could make on my kid's life is to live a life, a life of an imperfect father that points to the perfect father. That's the greatest impact I can have. What I want my kids to see in me, not a guy with all the answers, not a guy that has it all together. I want them to see me in my failures because when they fail, they'll say, well, Dad was like that too. I want them to see how I handle my failures. I want them to see how I handle my weaknesses. I want them to see a dad that knows that the only way I can succeed as a dad is to have my hand linked into the hand of the Father. As he leads me, I can lead my children. Because that's what I want to create in them. 
someone in my, in my kids' lives, I want them desperate to fulfill not dad's dreams or their own dreams, but to fulfill God's purpose for them in their lives. That's what I want. That's the mark I want to leave on my children. And I hope that's the mark you want to leave on yours. Would you stand to your feet this morning? There are a lot of single parents out there, and, and I've, I've talked to many of them, and I know from what they've shared with me, thoughts that weigh them down. I know for single fathers, they want, they want if they, especially if they have daughters, it doesn't matter, sons or daughters, they want, they want a mother around. I see a lot of single mothers who have kids, and they say, I want my kids, I want them to know what having a father is like, and, and, and I feel like, man, somehow they're, they're lacking something. I love what God does in church, because if we really grab the concept of church and community, this is a place where we too can be fathers to the fatherless and mothers to the motherless. And this is a place where we as men can reflect God the Father as he steps into our lives. Where we can fulfill the purposes in our lives that he has given us. He has called us to go out and reflect him. And so when those come in, we can be fathers to the fathers. Men, I want to challenge you. I don't care if you're married or have any kids. You are a father if you're in this church because there are kids in this church that need you and are looking to you. Fulfill that role. Fulfill that role. Ask God to strengthen you in your decisions because they are watching you. And they are following you. Let them see you in your imperfection, but let them see God through you. Let them see God's strength in your weaknesses as they see a man crying out to God, ladies, be a mother to the motherless. Love on these little people. They're watching you. They need to see you. They're going to want to grow up and be like you. And God has put us together as a family. We are a family. And when God puts us together, he says, in this community that says they belong to me, they should be able to see me and experience me. Man, let's us fulfill our roles. Let's us fulfill a portion of his purpose that he has put. He has put you here for purpose in this building. This isn't your sole purpose. But this is included in your purpose. Let's be men of character. Let's be women of character. Let's love God with all of our hearts, with all of our strengths, with all of our minds. Would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, we just come before you, God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that no matter our circumstances in our earthly lives, God, no matter whether our earthly fathers were there or not, I thank you, God, that you have always been there. And God, I just pray right now for those who are struggling, God, those who are in this place who are overwhelmed by, by the bitterness or hurt they may feel for not having a father around or, or a husband around. God, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would lift their chins this morning. You would lift their heads this morning. And God, that you would clear their minds and help them to forgive and help them to see you. Would you reveal yourself to them in their lives past that you would do in them what you did for my own wife, what you did for Lori, that they would always see your hand and go, despite my circumstances, God, you were always there. 
And they would focus on a God that has always been there, on a God that has always kept them. And God, and seeing that, they would find comfort and strength in knowing, God, that you will see them through. I pray for the single parents out there who, who are worried, who are concerned. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just open their eyes and help them to see your presence, Lord God. That that promise of being a father to the fathers is for them and for their children. And you will not fail them. God, I pray for men and women in this church, Lord God. God, I pray especially for the men. God, in those who are fathers, God, those who, who may not be fathers yet, God, I pray that you would help us embrace our role, not as a perfect picture, but as an imperfect picture, as an imperfect father who needs the perfect father to lead them by the hand. God, would you empower us? Will you strengthen us? Will you forgive us? Will you help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be, Lord God? And let us, through our lives, bring life to those who are in darkness, to those who do not have fathers, that your kingdom may be built and your name be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. God bless. Happy Father's Day. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, we don't want you to leave without receiving prayer. I want to ask our deacons and board members if they would join me at the front so we can pray for people. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Trust in Jesus.